Visit RTI on the web at english.rti.org.tw. This is Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today. Later on this hour, we'll take you over to Hashtag Taiwan, Taiwan Explained, and In the Spotlight. But we start off today's program with a new edition of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Thursday, August 6th. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today is Catherine Wei. Hello. Up next, we'll be hearing about the southern city of Kaohsiung's drive to get people to adopt more pets. Then we'll be hearing about how the National Taiwan Museum is planning to bring its exhibits more to life than ever before, and about the eastern county of Hualien's bid to become Taiwan's astronomy tourism capital. All that coming up in just a second. Please stick around. But hey, first of all, did you know that the uh, solution to COVID-19 and apparently some influenza viruses could lie in beans? <gasps> what kind of beans? These are called <laughs> hyacinth beans, and a protein that has been isolated from them um, has been found to restrict, I shouldn't say cure, uh, but the activities of the SARS-CoV-2, which I think is COVID-19, mm-hmm. is what it's colloquially now, now called, <laughs> and influenza viruses in laboratory experiments. This is according to a team of researchers from Taiwan's top research institute, Academia Sinica. Now, the... The uh, power of these beans, medically speaking, has been known apparently for centuries. They've been recorded in um, a 16th century Chinese medicine classic uh, called the Compendium of Materia Medica. Uh, the Chinese name for that is Ben Cao Gang Mu. Okay. And oh. they're also eaten in some countries, so I guess that might be the new health food now if, if they can this market new that. superfood. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the senior research specialists at uh, the the academy's genomics research center has been experimenting with like hundreds of herbs to see if they can restrict flu viruses, and that their conclusion so far is that hyacinth bean is the most effective. Now, this is not part of the scramble to develop a vaccine or other cures uh, that's been going on in the, in the past few months. This predates COVID-19, actually. Uh, they've been working since 2016 to try and figure out this particular plant's critical ingredient that has this antivirus effect. Um, the actual name is very long, so they've, appre- they've abbreviated it as frill. Like, <laughs> like no frills, but without okay. the second L. Oh, okay. And so it's a protein that's mm. in the beans, the plant's beans, and it looks like they uh, did some experiments on mice, which is always sad, but I oh, guess I that's what they do with medicine. Um, nearly 70% of the lab mice that had frill survived H1N1 flu. Wow. Uh, those without protection died in eight days, You generally oh. speaking. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the protein has been found in these tests to be effective in curbing infections of 11 different flu strains, which I lot. guess they stay mutate. So uh-huh. that's probably some good news. But can you just 
eat them, eat the beans, or you have to. I don't know how the, what how far. I'm not a pharmacist, <laughs> um, but they've been working since April to test this frill on cells infected by COVID nineteen as well. Mm. Um, so uh, and it looks like uh, it effectively neutralized the virus. Wow. Um, the experiments on the mice are not done yet. And the results still, despite being promising, are not final. Mm -hmm. They haven't finished up their work. Um, and, of course, it's definitely a long way from being used clinically. But they did a study. Uh, they've written it up. And it was recently published in the journal called Cell Reports, mm. which I guess features a lot of reports about what's cells. going on in the world of cells. <laughs> um so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, high-ranking researchers here from Academia Sinica who've been working on this. It's not a vaccine, but uh, if it can help at least s mitigate the mm -hmm. pandemic, that's a bit of good news, isn't it? It is. Just what we it's need to hear. <laughs> When it comes to pet ownership, the phrase adopt, don't buy has become a real popular slogan in recent years here in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. um, and the southern city of Kaohsiung is sweetening the deal by trying to uh, give some freebies to would-be pet owners or adopters, I should say. Right. So people are expecting um, retailers or vendors to do the, oh, if you come here with the stimulus vouchers, we'll give you how much money back, like a better deal. But the Kaohsiung... Um, city government is saying, no, you don't need the vouchers for this. Just come adopt any animal we have at um, the shelters. We should first explain what the vouchers, what we're talking about. Right. They're, it's essentially free money from the government. No, it's to, not totally free. You have to a, give, you have to pay yeah. and then you get vouchers that are worth more, double what you paid for, basically. Mm -hmm. basically. And they are usable pretty much everywhere. Um, and the idea is to stimulate the economy. Yeah. My, after COVID. My, or my Taiwanese partner uh, bought a video game console, so uh, we're not very, <laughs> maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, I didn't get one. I'm not a citizen, but uh, mm. um, a lot of people have them, and they're saying with these vouchers, uh, pet adopters can get some cool stuff. What sorts of things would they be offering? Uh, so the entire package is uh, worth 6,000 new Taiwanese dollars, which is what, 200 US dollars? That's a, not an amount to sneeze at, no. It's not. It's not. Um, you get a free vaccination. You get a leash. You get um, free spaying, neutering. You get a chip. Um, flea medicine. You're very important. And what about heartworms and stuff like that? If you have it like a dog, especially. It's... I think so. It it doesn't. It says. Yeah, it isn't. Is it? It's not super clear on that. But you also get. Um, Maybe that's part of the plan. You have to like go show up to find out yeah, all of what you get. It is. What sort of response have they had, or is this just starting now? It's just starting. Oh, um, go before October this year. Okay. And, yeah, all sorts of animals. Any any kind of, mostly dogs. I'm assuming because dogs and cats are the two big ones. Here. Right, and you only need a leash for a dog mostly. Yeah, Cats don't respond well to them. No, in my they experience. don't. I have seen that. <laughs> I have seen them, but I think it's cat a rare walkers. cat that. Yes, yeah. I think it is a rare cat that is okay with that, though. Right, right. So. And they give you free dog food slash cat food and um, a spa coupon. You can take your your doggy. Again, in. I think mostly dogs are fans right. of that. Yeah, I don't oh know my too God. many I cats that imagine. would tolerate that sort of thing. <laughs> um, 
that, that's amazing. I've never. I mean, I I know that uh, things like uh, if you adopt cer- at certain shelters, they'll like let you do regular checkups for free. Mm, but I've right. never heard of anyone giving away that much stuff. No, never. They're saying before this, it was only the first year you get a rabies shot for free, and that was it. And maybe that didn't attract as many people no. as it helped. I mean, this is very tempting. Like, I would drive down to Gaoshan for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure if you've ever been inside any sizable museum, you've probably seen these things, the little guides that you hold up to your ear. Oh, and they tell the, you what you're uh-huh, looking at. The audio things. Well, the National Taiwan Museum is uh, introducing, they're going a step further in introducing augmented reality guides, which is... So uh, you have to put on a headset? Um, there is no picture of this, but it, it sounds to me like that's the only way it could work mm-hmm. um, because it uh, basically brings, for instance, ancient organisms and fossils on display, quote unquote, oh. back to life. So I guess they move around. There's either animation, hologram. That's pretty cool. I saw an app, a Japanese app recently. Like it brings your doodles into like, <laughs> like they jump off the paper. Maybe it's something like that. Well, um, there, it allows you also to interact with the exhibits. Oh. Um, I don't know if that means you can talk to them or what. It doesn't say if uh-huh. it's voice activated, but uh, That's anyway. That's pretty cool. Uh, this is especially promising, this article says, in things like science education. Uh-huh. it's yeah. true uh, it was always a struggle for me like reading a textbook and not see it has I mean, science mm-hmm. works best when it's demonstrated you know right and not even all field trips are fun if you're only <laughs> standing there listening to someone right um and it says that uh they specifically credit uh electronic devices with sending the number of visitors to museums worldwide down gradually <laughs> and so like this is their attempt at a comeback here mm-hmm. um They've been sort of experimenting over the past few years, but uh, it looks like just earlier this week it was finally launched. It's what they're calling a first step in AR experience at museums, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's supposed to democratize it because it's kind of expensive to have your own set, isn't it? Right. Yeah, that's true. Where? Which museum did you say that was? The National Taiwan Museum, and. it says that their nat- their natural history branch, there is more than one branch, uh-huh. also can use, visitors there can also use the guide. You have to download an app, though. It's called Mark Plus, M-A-R-Q Plus. Uh-huh. I think that's a plus, not a T. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but basically, it looks like your phone becomes your guide. Oh, okay. So that's... So I don't know how... They save a bunch of money, then. I think it's maybe like... So it sounds like maybe Pokemon Go. Where it's like uh, with AR, yeah. Screen. That, that's AR. Um, yeah, if you point it at fossils and It's cool, though. You can have, like, Easter eggs, you know, hidden around the museum. Uh-huh. For kids, that'd oh, be great. Oh, that'd be so much fun. And uh, they're hoping this will bring museum attendance up, but also uh, give a boost to Taiwan's uh, growing AR industry, which mm. apparently we have an industry... I didn't know that. I um, thought it was just Pokemon Go. (laughs) When it comes to stargazing, Taiwan cities probably aren't the best spots, but there are a few dark places where you can get a very clear view of the night sky, and Hualien, on Taiwan's rural east coast, is hoping to cash in on that. Right, so I think locals do know to go to Hualien if you want to see shooting stars or you want to see the Milky Way, but now they want 
mm, trained guides to be out there helping these people. Really? Yeah. Um, the county government is going to be training people who own uh, B&Bs or people who own hotels and local tour guides to know more about astronomy. And so they can... I'm not sure if they're going to have tour groups, but okay. yeah, at least for the people staying at these hotels or guest houses, the, the owners will know like how to introduce the constellations and tell them when would be a good time to go. Well, I think um, there are apps for that sort of thing. There, there which I recently I was trying to figure out where that comet was and I never found it. But like there's all kinds of apps that like promise to help you find them. Um, but it is always more fun to hear someone who can tell you the stories behind mm -hmm. the constellations or something. I yeah. Know, um, a couple of years ago, I went to Huanshan, which is on the very edge of Hualien, mm -hmm. um, I think across the border in Nanto. And uh, they had a very knowledgeable guy with a laser pointer at three in the morning. Oh. And uh, it, it was dizzying, the number of stars you could see. Wow. It was like, you feel like you were in a planetarium. You, uh -huh. know? you don't get that in Taipei. No, you don't. And I've definitely gone to like the outskirts of Taipei or like Taoyuan, Ilan, and where I was told like, oh, you should go to these places. And then I didn't see any stars. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, the other problem is it's always cloudy here a lot of the time. Like, we it have is. a very damp climate. Hmm. But uh, Hualien tends to have nicer weather, I think. And mm, um, it's sunnier. And so, uh, yeah, especially with people with this push for domestic tourism going on, I know a lot of people are heading out to Hualien for some fresh air and mm -hmm. some R&R. &R, and uh, yeah, I think this could be uh, another way to attract people. Speaking of domestic tourism, it's more about over-tourism. Again. Um, we have too many people trying to crowd into too many small spaces. I think, I suspect Hualien will soon be on this list. But the mm. worst hit are, and we've mentioned a little bit about this in previous editions of the program, the off-lying islands. Today we're going to start out, though, on the other side of Taiwan, from where we were last time we talked about this. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about Green Island and Orchid Island. Have mm. you visited either of these islands? I haven't. I was in Jingmen over the past weekend, but there weren't that many people, so I was surprised. Okay, so you were on a, a very different island group. Mm -hmm. off the coast of china much there. closer to china right uh, this is on the pacific side of taiwan mm -hmm. i've been to green island um another great spot for looking at stars mm. i was supposed to go to orchid island one year and then a typhoon came so that didn't happen oh, um gosh. it's on my bucket list though um, <laughs> maybe not right now um both of them have seen a huge influx of visitors there's been nice weather, first of all. Mm -hmm. We had our first July with no typhoon. Right. And there, people have these vouchers and they want us to use them. Mm. Um, a lot of places are accepting them, too. It said that on Green Island alone, which is 15 square kilometers, uh, they had 100,000 tourists landing 100, in the second half of July, between July 15th and 30th. So the local population, by comparison, is less than 3,000. Oh, that's three times that. You, well, this was a problem when I was there, and this was mm -hmm. in a year where we could travel abroad. It was still in the summertime, super crowded, and mm -hmm. motorcycles clogging the roads. That was by the by the dock where the boats land from right. the mainland. Um, definitely, there's a lot of traffic jams. I hear it's very popular with college students. Yeah, well, I mean, it's cheap, and they mm -hmm. have a they have a hot spring. I think oh, it's they Taiwan's don't. only oceanside hot spring that you can bathe in. I um, don't know. Also, beautiful stars. So, like I said, oh. um, but not now. Now's not a good time to go. No. Th so the streets are clogged. 
the stores are going to run out of stock. And the worst oh. thing is that uh, sewage treatment issues are arising. <laughs> and they have a locals. fragile intertidal zones. They uh-huh. know where the tides come in. And yeah. Um, and so they're talking about, and they're not the only place doing this, putting a cap on the number of tourists who can be there at once. I support that. They've been thinking about this for mm-hmm. a decade now. Okay. But uh, a lot of people rely on tourism there. Mm-hmm. Um, the ocean views are beautiful. Um, there's a, a kind of a sad history. It was a penal colony. There was a lot of uh, political prisoners kept there at one point. But they've kind of turned it into sort of a theme park almost now. It's yeah, it's like still solemn, but like you can also take your picture like through the bars, and it's like ha 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 ha. ha. Uh, it's like a more interesting or like a lighter version of Alcatraz. It's no, it's pretty dark stuff. I don't know well, why. They, anyway, um, also unique food. I I had there's a type of uh, oh. ice that they serve with a local type of seaweed, and it's actually very pleasant. Seaweed like a, ice like cream. A, yeah, it's very, not ice cream, like shaved okay. ice. Shaved ice, okay. Um, lots of stuff to see, lots of stuff to do. Uh, others believe they should just turn the island into an international resort. Mm. Uh, and, or just say, leave it to the market. So there's a lot of, well, this has been going on for a decade now. Uh-huh. Um, and also, because it's part of a national scenic area, I think they may have to have some say in that. Don't, they said mm-hmm. they're going to to assess it. I've also heard that boats are completely booked and local mm-hmm. people who need to get to the Taiwan proper for whatever reason are having a hard time. These are the public ferries, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think the number of like people with big local boats is probably small, even though they are on an island. I think there's a, a trend right now. There's like an industry right now. Like people own their own boats and they take tours mm. out there. Well, um, Ponghu, which we talked about last time, mm-hmm. that's in the Taiwan Strait. They are actually talking in concrete terms about maybe in the next two years having a tourism tax it's not it's not really that it's not a lot it was like like, three bucks right right and that's the maximum they're not even quite sure how much it's going to be but Mm -hmm. uh i don't know if if you get to the point where you have sewage problems maybe it's time to address your issues This is kind of a, a funny survey that I found. Now, um, we talk a lot about how Taiwan's basically in, in, a, in a point right now where we're having negative population growth. People aren't having kids. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> 83% of Taiwanese fathers that took part in this recent survey say that they are confident in their ability to take care of their offspring on their own. <laughs> 53%, more than half of mothers, meanwhile, say that they're concerned about leaving their kids alone with their male partners. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so there's quite a gender gap here. Um, this was done, by the way, by a nonprofit group called the Xinyi Foundation. Um, and uh, it says that 98% of fathers surveyed say they share much parenting responsibility. As 98. A, I don't know how... how uh, True, that is. Mm. But uh, meanwhile, 97% of fathers indicated that they have a good relationship with their children. Again, no children were surveyed here. so Right. <laughs> you need the other side of the story. 89% regard them as competent, regard themselves as competent parents. Um, what's interesting, though, also, and I'm not sure how representative this is, uh, because it's one of those surveys where they do like a thousand people. We have oh, how many uh-huh. millions. Um, but they did ask if parents would choose to have have children again if they had us well they do it over again if they had a second chance 
What was interesting here was that 71% of fathers said yes, absolutely, and only 53% of mothers. So maybe that says something about the reality of who shares uh-huh. what work. I, I'm sure. <laughs> wow. Um, and uh, close to 90% of the mothers said that they would create opportunities for the fathers to spend time alone with kids on purpose, even though they don't quite trust their parenting skills. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if that's, that's good. Like, they need, dads need to learn. Still, um, there is a gender imbalance that I think everyone mm-hmm. seems to agree on here. Um, 4.8% said that the father was the primary caregiver in the household, whereas 39.5% said the mother. 45.2% said both, which I think is probably compared to previous decades. Right. So these a are vast improvement. younger parents. <laughs> yes. I can um, see that, but still... The chairperson of the Xinyi Foundation, uh, Zhang Xinru, says that uh, this contrast in perspective shows that Taiwanese fathers might need to be a bit more active when it comes to parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, she says that there has been a shift in values. Definitely, as we've seen with the, uh, the number who say both, mm-hmm. they say they agree that they both take equal you know, burden um, tr- in terms of breaking down traditional stereotypes and work arrangements. But there are work arrangements and lingering stereotypes that that keep this this from changing even more. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's difficult. It's it's a it's something. It's a change just, in progress. I just love it. Like 80, 80 What is it? Eighty nine percent are like I'm competent. Yeah. And then the, the mothers are like, mm. not really. <laughs> Want to label your food product healthy? Well, in Taiwan, you may soon run up against some legal obstacles. Right. So you have to have a health food permit from the Food and Drug Administration to label whatever you're selling as healthy. Wow. You need a permit. Yeah. That means, well, that just means how how many products are out there that claim to be healthy but actually aren't. Oh, if you turn on Taiwanese TV, like during the... I don't know, I would say like after early afternoon mm-hmm. on any weekend. Oh, it's full of them. So they're definitely targeted to like older viewers. Right, too. people who still watch TV. And, and they're like, has this ever happened to you? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Blurry eyesight. Try our, yeah, <laughs> try so-and-so's miracle cure. <sighs> so yeah, there's and it's, a lot of yeah, that. Yeah, it's like dubious things I would not... You're like, that guy's not a doctor. He's not. They're celebrities. They're like old celebrities who come out and are like, my knees are stronger because of this. <laughs> I can now walk upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, so this is this is a good new rule. Yeah. I support it. Um, and, and is this going to be happening soon? What's the timetable for this? Oh, there's still a couple of years. So July 2022. Well, uh, well, I have seen, to be fair, and this may just be a local thing, that the new Taipei city government already has rules about, uh, mm. uh, especially if you're selling food items, and especially food items that contain like Chinese herbs, uh-huh. you cannot on your shop sign tout the benefits, the supposed benefits of it, or they will fine you. I'm not sure if they actually do or not, but they say they will. Uh-huh. Okay, um, that that's good, because a lot of, I think, older people <laughs> buy Chinese medicine. Well, it's mostly like, oh, um, like ginseng. This soup contains ginseng. What is it? They have like a jangmuya, oh, like yeah. the ginger duck. Uh-huh. And like the some shops may say that our broth contains herbs that will cure your everything. Mm. You know, your aches, your pains, yeah. your seasonal Better allergies. Better performances on exams. <laughs> so uh, 
yeah, and, and is there fines? I mean, are they going to be Yes, you can for... be fined up to uh, 40,000 Taiwanese dollars, which is 1,300 U.S. dollars. Oh, well, no, up to 4 million new Taiwanese dollars. Oh, so that's the minimum to maximum. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's quite a range. It is. I wonder I how mean, they determine like the severity of your claims. Is maybe any... how much profit you're raking in or how many people got scammed. Or maybe how ridiculous your commercials are. <laughs> Some of them are really bad. They are. They have like terrible acting. And Very like, scripted. Oh, I have fallen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not even like B or C list actors there. but uh. They're worth lo- checking out. It's very funny. All right. Well, at least there's some comedic relief. That's, they say that is the best medicine. So. <laughs> All right. Well, that just about does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. And I'm Catherine Wei. Please do stick around for Hashtag Taiwan, Taiwan Explained, and In the Spotlight, coming up next. and welcome to Hashtag Taiwan. I'm your host, Leslie Liao. Thank you so much for joining me. In this week's program, we're going to be talking about the lottery. The Taiwan lottery is actually a state-sanctioned lottery, which is the only form of legal gambling in Taiwan. Now, a lot of the proceeds and profits that the lottery makes actually goes towards uh, public welfare, creating jobs for people who need them and helping out the needy. Now this week, one of Taiwan's lottery games called the Power Lottery reached a new record high jackpot. It was the highest jackpot ever in the history of that game. The total number that it was offering was 3.124 billion new Taiwan dollars, which is about 106.5 million U.S. dollars. And this came at a time when the government just handed out stimulus coupons. So a lot of people had a lot of this extra money to go buy lottery tickets. And what led up to this was 23 consecutive weeks of nobody winning the jackpot. So it accumulated and accumulated. So in this week's hashtag, we're going to be discussing lottery mania. And I was no stranger to lottery mania because I got some of it and I actually ended up buying a ticket. The full story of what happened is coming up next. Don't go away. You're not going to want to miss it. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about big money. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. I have here a lottery ticket. It's for the biggest jackpot in the history of Taiwan's power lottery. Earlier this week, the power lottery jackpot sat at 3.124 billion new Taiwan dollars, which is about 106.5 million US dollars. The power lottery draw happens twice a week, once on Monday and once on Thursday. The jackpot grew because the power lottery went 47 consecutive draws without a winner. That's 23 weeks, almost half a year without a winner. Here's how the power lottery works. People choose six numbers between 1 and 38. 
They then choose an additional seventh number between one and eight. If anyone matches all seven numbers, then they win the jackpot. The unprecedented jackpot prompted a wave of lottery mania. People started buying lottery tickets like it was going out of style and they posted their tickets to social media. The government handed out stimulus coupons in mid-July, which some people used to buy lottery tickets. That was allowed because the lottery benefits charities. On Monday, the power lottery numbers came out. How'd I do? Well, let's just say if I had won the jackpot, hashtag this week wouldn't be this coherent. It would actually just be footage of me doing cartwheels over and over again on a loop until I inevitably somehow blew 3.124 billion new Taiwan dollars and had to come back and do this show properly. Man, I didn't even get one number on this thing. Anyway, two people won the jackpot, one of whom bought their ticket at the exact same shop where I got my ticket from. One winner bought their ticket from Da'an District in Taipei, while another bought theirs in Zhusan Township in Nanto County. Da'an is one of the more affluent areas in Taiwan, so some netizens vented their frustrations with this meme. It says, can Da'an residents really participate in the lottery? Is that even legal? Now you might think such a close brush with 100 million US dollars might have broken me, but misery loves company, and oh I have found somebody who is much much more miserable than I am. Shortly after the winning numbers were announced, a man, a broken man I assume, posted his lottery ticket on Facebook. His numbers were off by one for every one of the winning numbers. The winning numbers were 5, 8, 19, 21, 27, 37, with the last number being 2. This unlucky fellow's numbers were 4, 7, 18, 20, 28, 38, and 1. He missed every one of the winning numbers by 1. Someone went ahead and did the math for him and said the odds of that happening were like winning the lottery. Dude, that is way too soon. And that's it for this week's Hashtag Taiwan. I do hope you enjoyed that story, especially about how I just barely missed 3.124 billion new Taiwan dollars. It's okay, though, because I really love what I do, and I wouldn't even quit this job if I did win. Anyway, like I always say, you can always reach out to me if you have any questions or comments, or if you have any suggestions for future shows. Come to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Taiwan Insider or facebook.com slash Radio Taiwan International. You can send us a message straight away, and I'm the one who receives that inbox, so I'll get back to you. Anyway, until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay happy. I'll see you around. This week in Taiwan Explained, how do you name a panda? And of course, we're talking about Taipei Zoo's baby panda, which just turned one month this week. That's right. Now, right now, Taiwan has four pandas. In fact, there's only been four pandas in the entire history of Taiwan, I think. Uh, we have a family of four. Let's start with the parents. So we have Tuan Tuan, the father, and Yuan Yuan, the mother. Now, this photo was taken of them when they were still in Sichuan before they were given as a gift to Taiwan. Now, how did they choose the names? Basically, they held an unofficial poll, and 130 million people in China chose their names. Now, their names, if you put them together, Tuanyuan, that means reunion. This represents the hopes of the Chinese people that China and Taiwan can one day be reunited. So that's a bit controversial. Yes, a little political. Quite political. political. Yes, yes. (laughs) But what about the baby names for the ones born in Taiwan? Okay, so those were chosen a little bit differently. They were also chosen by polls. Let's start off with 
The first daughter who was born seven years ago in 2013, the Taipei City Zoo held a poll and they asked people to come up with suggestions for names. And the name that people chose was Yuanzai. Now, oh, Yuanzai, that Yuan, isn't she cute? That Yuan is the same character as her mother's name, Yuan Yuan. So it's like the child of Yuan Yuan. But what's really interesting is if you say her name in Taiwanese, Ya. That is a local sweet dessert. Very yummy. Yes, very <laughs> yummy. Little fat glutinous rice balls. So it's a cute name for her. It is. And tell us about what's going on with the baby panda now. All right. So brand new baby panda, just a month old. Uh, now, again, the Taipei City Zoo is allowing people to submit names and then to vote for their favorite. Already we have some fantastic names, or should I say some very tasty names. Let's have a look. She's finally out of the incubator and living with her mama, Yuan Yuan. While Yuan Yuan is slightly on the mature side for a panda mom, the Taipei Zoo said she is doing a good job caring for her secondborn. The zoo will also be holding a naming contest for the newborn, who is now dubbed Rou Rou for her gentle personality. While Rou Rou is very different from her rough-and-tumble older sister, can you tell the two apart? The one on the left is Yuan Zai, and the one on the right is Rou Rou. Anyone who has name ideas for Roro can send them to the Taipei Zoo. So far, the zoo said food-inspired names have been really popular. Popular contenders are Yuyuan, or Taro Balls, a popular Taiwanese dessert, and Tangren, the Mandarin version of older sister Renzai's name, which is also a dessert. If you have a good name for Roro, remember to go to the zoo's website to send it in before September 8th. The zoo will be picking out six of the most popular ones for people to vote on. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and today I am so excited to be speaking with Malabika Das, who is an integrative social worker, a trauma and wellness specialist. Hold on, there's more. <laughs> Assistant Professor in Social Work and General Education at National Taiwan University. That's like the top university in Taiwan. And also yoga and mindfulness instructor. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so let's, yeah, let's meet Malabika. Thanks, Shirley, for having me on. I'm so honored. Yeah. Do, do people show your name? <laughs> you know, it's funny because, um, you know, people can say Malabika, but then when I give them the option, I was like, oh, you can call me Mala. You know, they usually take that option. And some oh, okay. of my students, you know, they call me Professor Mala. Or, oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So I can Kind of casual. Either one is fine. <laughs> okay. All right. Where are you from originally? I'm from the United States, born, yes. born and raised, but my family is from Nepal, and my grandparents were originally from India. All right. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'm always curious about foreigners in Taiwan. Mm. It's like, why are you here in Taiwan? Oh, my goodness. You know, <laughs> that's an interesting question because Taiwan, like, I feel like it draws so many unique and interesting people. And it's still kind of a bit under the radar, I think, compared to like some other places mm. that draw expats. But um, it was really, you know, a combination of my husband's getting an offer here to, to move here and also sort of really feeling into 
the energy and um, Taiwan had been a place I hadn't visited so much while living in Asia in the last 10 years so but you did but I did only for through just a, like a, a business trip for my husband so it was oh, like okay. a quick weekend here but um, it was it was still very nice um, but there was just something about I think for me you know really feeling into the energies of Taiwan and when I say energies it's you know can be a little bit of a, a loaded a loaded word but um, I just feel that there is um, a lot of amazing um, natural energies that exist here and um, historical uh, energies and um, as well as just an amazing sense of spirituality that um, exists that mm -hmm. if you sort of tap into that if you're interested in that thing it's just a lot of amazing, um, I think, experiences that one can have here um, just being in this energy vortex. Wow. Okay. And you've already been here in Taiwan for five years? Going, is no, it? Going, going, on, going on four. Going, going on, on four. four. Yeah, but still so much to learn and so much to explore. And, you know, so you know, once you get busy, then it's harder to kind of, you know, tour the island as much as I want. But, oh, yeah? you know, being here this summer, you know, because of, of course, I haven't been able to go back to the States. Um, this was an opportunity to explore. So we did, we went to some islands and, you know. I know, know so, I saw that on Facebook. Yes. <laughs> and so that was, that was really nice. And, um, of course, there's energy everywhere. The, the energy and the, you know, what I really find amazing, especially in, you know, going to Pongo Island or something, that the people there are, were so friendly. I mean, <laughs> I already thought Taiwanese people were so friendly. We visited the oldest temple in, in Taiwan there on the island. Oh, okay. I, oh. I apologize if I forget the name of it, but okay. um, but it's it was just beautiful and um, there was quite an amazing like kind of aura there. So we went and visited and oh, um, then I had this awesome cactus popsicle oh yeah, yeah, yeah you never would think the word cactus and popsicle would go together but it actually does <laughs> i mean it was so delicious so yeah. uh yeah oh, so yeah cool. so it's been fun to you know explore this summer a little bit yeah oh great yeah let's talk about what you do though ah yeah yes. which one do you want to start off with <laughs> well you know partly uh it's it's like they're all integrated surely you yeah. know they're all sort of kind of play into each other and one of my uh, goals and aims when we decided to move to Asia in general was that, you know what, I really want to train and learn more about certain philosophies and certain techniques and certain approaches that would be much better suited to be learned in Asia. So after I finished my clinical social work training in New York, um, you know, I was always interested in kind of bridging into the world of yoga and mindfulness because I noticed that, um, you know, doing even just, you know, breathing techniques with my clients back in New York was so impactful for them. And, and we don't really often get trained. I mean, I think you're seeing it a lot more now uh, once everyone has found out about how, you know, great breathing is for you and, mm. and to lower stress. But but back then it was like, okay, you know, not, not everyone was doing it, you know. And I was like, well, I would love to see how, you know, these sort of Eastern techniques of yogic breathing and of energy work and um, things that may not necessarily be so mainstream in the West, mm -hmm. um, 
is how that can play into healing, oh, you know, and, and that's, yeah. so one of my aims was when we moved out to Asia was that, well, I want to do trainings in, in these things that I've always felt sort of connected with, but, um, but don't, didn't really have a lot of formal training. So right. that sort of started the journey into more of the, um, I would say the integrative, um, integrative side. Yeah. yeah even if it's something as simple as breathing, that yeah. takes training. I mean, yeah. I, I, I've been told, you know, reminded mm-hmm. that I need to make sure I'm breathing. Yeah. Because when I'm under stress, mm-hmm. you know, I even forget that I, mm-hmm. I might be holding my breath mm-hmm. without realizing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even as something as simple as that. Mm-hmm. I think we, I need that, though. It's, it's so interesting how we actually don't even realize that we're holding our breath because it be, it's become so common for us to do that in, in, in places where we feel um, a bit of stress or anxiety. And what happens is you actually end up breathing with your clavicular area of your chest. So it's called clavicular breathing. And that's where most people are kind of normally doing your, your normal day-to-day, minute-to-minute breath. But mm. if you start to bring in the, the diaphragm yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you try to bridge into uh, your, your abdominal and your uh, chest cavity together, um, then you can actually bring in what we call the body breath or the diaphragm breath or, you know, it, there's other yogic terms for it as well. Really amazing, Shirley. Like, for example, I teach this breath uh, as one of the first things in my lessons for my students at NTU and it's amazing. They need how, them. Yes, <laughs> those, and those that's kids. that's why I'm doing my my new course over there called the the science of joyful living. Um, it's partly because of the stress factors, and that many people don't have the tools or have never been taught the tools um, to be able to lower their stress levels or to manage you know stresses that unfortunately have become chronic stress in a lot mm. of our lives. Yeah, and so we're going. You know, we're we're doing we're having this chronic stress, yet we don't have the tools to be able to manage stress. And stress necessarily is not a bad thing. Uh-huh. You know, we need a certain level of stress to be motivated to get things done. To, you know, in fact, be you know meeting deadlines, but also doing it in a way that makes you feel empowered. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain level of stress that we need in our lives. Yeah. Now, once that stress, you know, goes over the curve and starts to turn into what we call distress, we're starting to bridge into now all these sort of negative affects of um, starting to feel overloaded or burnt out or, um, you know, just really not being able to manage everything. And at some point, just feeling super exhausted. Um, So what's great about doing a course like this at NTU is that I get to um, show um, and teach and, and explore with the students of how these practices from breath work to yoga to mindful eating, I mean, can be really impactful uh, for their lives and just to use as tools uh, for them and build resilience ultimately, you know. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. This is sounding amazing because when I uh, vision NTU, okay, National Taiwan University, top university in Taiwan, mm-hmm. I think of engineering, you know, these majors or law, you know, yeah. but I never think of social working, yeah. <laughs> general education. Yeah. But um, of course, that's a department, right? In, in yes. A, of its yes, own. Yes. Okay. So there are students who are taking this major. Yes. Uh, at NTU. 
But then, are there students who are taking it because they realize they need it? Actually, and, but you know for, what? My yeah. question though yeah. is that when they're so stressed with schoolwork, yeah, would they even think they have time for that? Okay, so actually, my course is open to all students at the university. It's not limited to the social work students, but I right. have a few social workers in there. Yeah. Um, actually, the beauty of the course I feel is that it is accessible to all students. Yeah. And so I have a mix of engineering. I have some drama. I have, you know, um, biological sciences. I have medicine. I have a few different, you know, I have veterinary. I have like, it's, it's like, it was a, just a mixed bag. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, so you and do. It was, it was really fun in a way to work with students who really, you know, don't have a lot of experience in wellness or mm. self-development in those areas. Right. But so, they will be taking them as options. They were taking, yes. Yeah, so my course Optional is an elective, course. yes. Elective, but they yeah. need they need certain um, options um, or, or electives mm. to satisfy their, their mm. degree. Um, Why do I feel like if they were to take your class, they should be in their gym clothes? Because you've visualized it correctly, Shirley. <laughs> I asked them to wear very comfortable clothes. Okay. Okay. yoga clothes no short shorts no short skirts no uh-huh. just things that are comfy and that are breathable uh-huh. and um that's really nice and you know once in a while i get to take them out into nature so i have oh. i have one day where i'm planning this uh this fall to actually do our course out in the forest where we'll have a yoga and mindfulness session out there mm. and it'll be about really tapping into uh what we call the you know, you might have heard about forest therapy, but this idea of really connecting with the trees and oh. being in nature and having the, again, the energies, right? Uh-huh. Being in that energetic setting um, and, and having them actually do the session out there. So we'll be a little bit away from Taipei, not too far, but we'll be out in nature and just um, to give them that experience. And I had to push it back for the fall because, you know, the weather here, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a bit... It gets hot, so mm. I, you know, fall should be a, a really pleasant time to do that with them. So oh, wow. I'm excited for them to kind of be out of even, even though my classroom is, you know, it's a really nice space where I have these huge windows, and basically it looks like a dance room or a yoga room, mm-hmm. um, and and it's it's great to be there, but. When you're out in nature, it's a different experience. Right. So we'll be doing some mindful walking. Um, I'll give them things to do as we do the walk uh-huh. for the forest therapy part. And then we'll finish with a yoga session out there. And, oh, and, wow. and, and when I did the outdoor yoga session with them in the spring... Just on campus, I got such you know good feedback that people loved being out there by the trees and by the lake, and they need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good to sort of yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> get away from the city. Yes, get, get away from, from devices. Work. Yeah. Um, but this thing, trauma and wellness specialist, <laughs> it sounds traumatic. <laughs> Well, you know, it's kind of the yin yang, I guess, of each other in okay. a way. So, I mean, it's it's good to have trained in in learning about, you know, how to work with trauma. It's been really um, such a wow and eye opening experience, especially working with refugees in Hong Kong during my PhD, um, okay. and really working um, and looking at the. This is, this like, is not on the NTU campus. No, this is oh, this a separate. Is, yeah, okay. this is when I did my PhD back in, in, in Hong Kong. And, 
you know, um, just looking at the different ecological factors of how trauma works. So it's not necessarily just that one incident that might happen to somebody where they feel traumatized, but you have trauma factors that are embedded in our society, whether it's on the micro, meso, or macro levels, in our policies, in our services, you know, how people wow. are trained to talk to somebody, you know, or how they're, I should say, not trained to talk to somebody can be quite traumatizing to somebody who is maybe not from that country as well as someone who is already traumatized from being from somewhere else that they might be fleeing. So, um, and, and also to have worked with people who have experienced torture back in their countries, you know, at the same time, it is so inspiring to see how people have survived and how they stay strong and resilient. So some of my research was around really, you know, um, yes, we're working with trauma, but we're also working with resilience. We're also working with strength. So I want to hear more about what are the things that helped you really pull through. And I think that's really important to focus on versus always focusing on the trauma. If what Malabika does interests you, and if you want to know more about her life, make sure you join me next week on In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.